certainly in marketing, you've got a lot of shiny objects you can play with. And what I found working with CMOs is they pick the shiny object who enhance their portfolio versus enhance the company's position. And that's a big mistake. It's huge. You know, one of the things I always look at is um, when a new CMO comes in, do they want to change the logo? (laughs) The website and that. Because if they want to start fucking with the logo and the website in their first three to six months, their head's in the wrong place. Thanks so much for pressing play. Those voices you just heard are me and my buddy Brian Burns, who is a no BS leader in the sales world. And this is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, where we aspire to have real conversations, not over edited interviews that celebrate the people, ideas, and companies that stand out. We've also been called the biggest box full of chocolates on the internet. And you know, I get asked all the time, who's the ideal listener to your podcast? And here's what we know. It's typically somebody who is um, entrepreneurial, whether they're an entrepreneur or not. Somebody who is interested in new ideas about companies, technologies, marketing, sales, and somebody who's got a, um, a wandering mind. Because sometimes we have an episode like today on sales and marketing. And And, you know, sometimes we talk about how to design a legendary death. (laughs) So if you have a wandering mind and you're up for something different, you're in the right place. We're sponsored by the good folks at Oracle NetSuite. They are the platform for growth for entrepreneurial businesses. And if you want to learn how to turbocharge the growth of your business, I would invite you to go to netsuite.com slash different today. And as a listener to this podcast, NetSuite is offering you a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry. Check out netsuite.com slash different. I also want to tell you about this year's One Life Fully Lived conference happening October 12th and 13th in beautiful Long Beach, California. And uh, it's gonna be an amazing event. There's some fantastic speakers like billionaire entrepreneur Jeff Hoffman, who's been on this podcast, venture capitalist Cody Sanchez, and a buddy of mine, author, podcaster, and all around awesome guy, John Vroman. And I will be speaking this year. I'm glad to be coming back. This is a conference you can bring your whole life, uh, your whole life to, yeah, your whole life to, and your whole family to. And One Life Fully Lived is the nonprofit that's dedicated to helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. So for more information, check out onelifefullylived.org slash clockhead, and you can register today. Now, onto this uh, episode. Brian Burns is the author of four great books on B2B sales and marketing. He's a uh, sales guru, really, in Silicon Valley. He has two legendary hit podcasts that I love, uh, one called The Brutal Truth About Sales and Marketing and other called The B2B Revenue Leadership Show. And on this episode, he and I have a captivating free-range conversation about sales and marketing, and we unearth some powerful ideas for how the two can work together, and we tackle this idea of sales and marketing and alignment. Go to lockhead.com. Uh, and check out the show notes for the key takeaways from this episode. And there you can also learn how to connect with Brian. Now, hey-ho, let's go. Hey, Chris, uh, let's talk about some sales and marketing alignment today. Have you ever run into this issue? You mean misalignment. (laughs) Has it ever been aligned in your world? It actually has. Um, I learned early on that, frankly, I think this is a stupid discussion that a lot of sales and marketing leaders get wrong. And I found some easy ways to get it right where marketing and sales were completely in sync. Um, And every time I'm involved with a company that's having this problem, I just think, okay, come on, folks, can we be... Uh, more adult about this. <laughs> yeah. And what do you think causes it? Is it really caused by the, the different uh, comp plan, the different reward system, and the, maybe the conflict that the CEO really wants sales and marketing to have a little bit of tension? Well, I think if, 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 you, if the CEO wants tension between sales and marketing, then I think we should all 
quit and leave the CEO alone because they're a crazy person or crazier than normal. But, but let me say this off the top, Ryan, and this may get me into some trouble, but I think the misalignment of sales and marketing generally is the fault of marketing. Because? And, well, I think some CMOs don't have the right headset about this. My headset always was, you know, if you're the head of sales and I'm the head of marketing and we're working together, it's not your number. It's our number because yeah. <laughs> it's not your company. It's our company. And it sure as fuck isn't your stock price and my stock price. We have the same stock options in the same company. And so I always treated the number like it was 100% my responsibility. Um, that was sort of the first one. The second one is, you know, there's always this dumbass discussion, particularly in B2B, although it does happen in B2C about, about leads and pipeline and qualified leads for the sales force and not enough qualified leads for the sales force. And that always can turn into a dumb discussion. And so I just believe that if you and I are working together, your sales, I'm marketing, we sit down and we plan this thing out. And then I go get done what I need to get done to deliver whatever is the amount of qualified leads you need in a quarter to get it done. And you also have to, I think, make sure that you don't have a dumbass sales organization that refuses to t accept anything as a quality. You know, we, we just have to sit down as partners and figure out what's going to work. And then we have to both do that thing. And I guess the biggest part of it for me is if you and I are working together as sales and marketing, I want the whole world to know that we're a hundred percent aligned. That is to say, if there's a problem somewhere between the link between sales and marketing and they go to you or they go to me, we say the same thing. Yeah. They can't divide and conquer and, and go to me and say, God damn it, Brian's an asshole or, or one of your folks is an asshole. I say, Hey, you know what? We don't do that here. And vice versa that, that the, the company needs to see you and I stand together. So I think a, we agree on what we need to get done together as a team. We go get that stuff done. And the degree uh, to which anybody's trying to drive us apart, we, you and I, as the, as the executives, don't allow that to happen. But, but how do you do that? Because, you know, I, I probably have more marketing experience than most salespeople. Uh, you know, I, I set up Google AdWords 15 years ago, um, done a lot of startups. And if I was to sit down with a marketing person, I'd want to like, well, what are your plans? How do you get, get those leads? And yeah. so here's the big one. So let's assume for a second, we're talking about B2B, right? Yeah. In B2B, I think what solves a lot of this is our, the minute we agree, we're going to go to a named account. We're on. So the minute we say, Hey, listen, here are the, here are the accounts we want. And we know that, and you have them assigned to folks, and I know who the targets are because we've agreed on them together, and maybe we work with product management on it, or you know, however we come up with, these are the use cases, this is where we deliver the most value, and therefore these are the targeted accounts we want. And look, there are going to be some leads that come in that are non-targeted accounts, but if essentially each of your reps has 50 accounts or 25 accounts, or for a bigger company, maybe they have three to five accounts if we're doing you know, large account management, however we're doing it, we have all, all agreed, starting with you and I, these are the, the companies we want, yeah. and these are the titles in the company. The minute we've agreed on that, as a marketer, I know what I need to go do. Okay. Right? But, and as a sales leader, hopefully you know how to task your sales force, and I'm trying to do, you know, I'm doing what my buddy Mike Maples calls air wars, and you're doing ground wars, but we're all focused on the same geography. <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot of ways to skin the cat. And uh, most sales leaders don't, or they have their own favorite way of skinning the cat, whether it's trade shows, um, you know, some kind of uh, campaign, gifts, whatever. And then, of course, marketing people have their, their way of getting those leads. Oops. Yep. So what if there's a conflict in strategy? If the, like, the sales leader is trying to push you in a certain direction and you have a certain idea, how do you come to consensus on that? So I think in general, if it's a ground wars oriented topic, and if it's air wars specific to support ground wars, that is to say, 
actual leads, because there's a lot of things marketing is responsible for that are not lead gen. But if we're having a lead gen pipeline discussion, in general, I'm going to yield to you. If you say, hey, look, I really think that for these kinds of accounts, these kinds of activities are the sort of campaigns that I, Brian, think are most uh, effective. I may push back on some of them. Um, but at the end of the day, if you say, hey, you know what, I, I really would, these trade shows really matter to me or uh, taking them to these sporting events really matter because we're going to try to build relationships. And so this is the kind of field marketing I would like to see us do. Or, you know, I really think we should hire an appointment setting company to make sure we get the right C-level account meetings that we want. Again, I, I may push and sort of debate with you on some of the tactical things. But in general, if the topic is how do we drive uh, leads into the sales force, if you and I have a disagreement, I'm probably going to yield to you on that disagreement. That's very nice of you. <laughs> No, just like if it's a big branding issue or a big yeah. category strategy issue or something along those lines, then, you know, again, I'm going to listen to your feedback very intently. And if you really disagree with me, I want to hear that. But at the end of the day, you know, I think that's more my decision than your decision. It, it is. And I think everything works until it doesn't work. I think it's, I've seen it start off at the beginning of the quarter. Everybody agrees. And if the quarter doesn't go well, then all of a sudden there's the board meeting and the CML goes in and the VP of sales goes in and there's kind of like this thing going on. And, and I think that the counting of leads becomes counterproductive. Yes. Because it's like, um, it reminds me of the, the election. With it like the dangling chat, is that a lead? Chad, yeah. <laughs> well, and like the, the other bullshit one is this concept of of sales qualified leads, right? What so marketing produces twenty thousand leads, and sales only accepts two of them or whatever, right? Yeah, and there's just just this insanity, and that that's right. why I think you and I, and I've I've done this with sales leaders, and it's worked. We sort of sign a pact in blood that. Look, we're in this together. We're going to sink or swim together. And so to your point, that board meeting, um, we're going down together, right? Because yeah. <laughs> the bottom line is we're not going to hit the number for the quarter. And that means both of us fucked up. That's the bottom line, right? And so that's why I said I, your number is not your number for me. It's our number. And I think where it breaks down is if you and I start doing the point fingers thing, then it gets stupid. But if we say... No, it's just like in a good marriage, right? We sort of say, no matter no matter what, we're going to stick together and we're going to sink or swim together. And I think if it starts there, whatever the strategic components are, um, you know, we may have to unpack those things and get into the forecast and get into all that. But we're not going to let it devolve into a dumb conversation that tears you and I apart. Because the minute that happens, uh, I, th I think the company's ability to hit the number goes down exponentially. It, it does. And I think that, there's an innate conflict in that the, the sales group is quarter to quarter based. Uh, the marketing group has a much longer viewpoint. They're looking at branding, category, strategic. You know, if they look quarter to quarter, the company doesn't look very good from the outside in, right? Right. Yeah. And, you know, I get asked this by CMOs all the time, and all that is absolutely true. And guess what? We get paid to walk and chew gum at the same time. So, <laughs> right? The reason CMOs get big stock option packages and big salaries is, uh, it, look, it's just like, it's, it's the same thing in sales. You have to, yeah. on one hand, deliver the quarter, but you have to be making sure that we're hiring ahead of plan so that we're going to hit the number two and three quarters. Like, Sales may be more short-term focused than marketing, for sure. But the bottom line is, I can't pretend to be some highfalutin strategery idiot who's thinking about three years from now when we're not delivering anything to the sales organization this quarter, making it harder for you to hit your numbers two and three quarters out because that's going to catch up with us. So I have to be able as the CMO to walk and chew gum at the same time. And maybe you could argue... Uh, you know, 60% of my focus is the, is more future oriented or, you know, we could talk about what the right mix from a headset point of view is for, for the uh, sales leader. But the reality is if the 
company misses the quarter, we all miss the quarter together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that, then it becomes, you know, but somebody's got to be blamed, right? And, and it's kind of the prisoner's dilemma, yeah. right? <laughs> so either... <laughs> Well, and look, the reality is... If you go in together, you yeah. both survive. But if one or the other... <laughs> no, that's right. And if they're going to throw us in the hole, then throw us in there together because at least we got somebody to talk to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and look, I'm not an idiot. You're going to take more heat for the quarter than I am. For sure. It's just you, you are on have a responsibility for the number in a way that I don't. But I treat it like it's mine. The other one, and this is a radical thing... Um, I spent 40 to 50% of my time as a CMO in the field. Now that wasn't all on sales calls, but it was a lot on sales calls. And so the other part of it is I think CMOs, particularly B2B CMOs, you need to do this because my objective was always to be the most requested executive on, in the company on a sales call. Because if I, as the CMO, wasn't really great one-on-one -on -one with it, I'm not talking about necessarily, you know, technical shit down in the basement, yeah. right? But at a strategic level with a C-level executive at a customer or a prospect of ours, I need to be as good as you, as good as the CEO, as good as the head of engineering, as good as the head of product management or marketing, depending on how our org structure is in coming in, presenting the vision, presenting the strategy, talking about why this shit matters and talking about how we might develop a partnership with, you know, this company, customer, or prospect A. And if I'm in the field all the time, I'm going to get that. And I'm going to learn what the top, you know, I like to go on sales calls with the top 10% of the sales force. Because I want, you know, you're going to tell me if I'm the new CMO and you're, you're the existing CRO and I ask you, hey, Brian, who are the top 10%? I'm going to go try and go on sales calls with the top 10% of the sales force in my first six months in the company. I want to see them in action. I want to see what objections customers have. I want to see where we're breaking down. I want to see what's really working. I'm going to learn things on those calls that are going to help us both strategically and tactically. And so I just really felt one way to break the alignment bullshit between sales and marketing another way was for me to spend a lot of time i think it's key for two reasons one that top 10 percent knows that market pretty well they, they know what they read they know how they find out about us they know what they need from you know the mix you know, whether trade shows work, whether, you know, that's the one big one a year or the 12 local ones a year, all of those things are very different. And I think certainly in marketing, you've got a lot of shiny objects you can play with. And what I found working with CMOs is they pick the shiny object who enhance their portfolio versus enhance the company's position. And well, that's a big mistake. It's huge. You know, one of the things I always look at is um, when a new CMO comes in, do they want to change the logo? <laughs> the website. and Because <laughs> if they want to start fucking with the logo and the website in their first three to six months, their head's in the wrong place. I yeah. just know their head's in the wrong place. Now, maybe we need to change the logo. Sometimes that's valid. And I have been the CMO that changes the logo, although uh, not, not very often. Only when it's really egregious. Um, and, and, you know, like when I joined Mercury, the company was called Mercury Interactive. Yeah. Our logo was ridiculous. It looked like a George Jetson, but not a cool George Jetson, like a fucked up George Jet, you know, just stupid looking. And the other thing, and this was even worse than the logo. Guess what our URL was, Brian? I have no idea. Merc-int.com. M-E-R-C dash int dot com and i would walk by somebody's office or cube and they'd be on the phone and they'd be giving their email address to somebody and they were like yeah it's a g smith <laughs> at merc dash int not not the under not the lower dash but the the midway dash you know <laughs> I'd be, all day long people would be saying this right and i said why don't we own mercury.com and the folklore in the company was well uh you know Ford must own mercury.com and they're never going to sell it to us. So I decided to find out if that was true. Well, it turned out it wasn't even fucking 
fucking true. Oh. And I found the guy that owned Mercury.com and we ended up buying it from him. You know, it was a reasonable amount of money, but it wasn't an insane amount of money. And then you could say my email address was bburns at Mercury.com. So anyway, my point is sometimes you got to fuck with that stuff. But unless it's really broken, the CMO who plays with shiny objects out of the chute is a dumb CMO. That's it. We need to figure out. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, uh, certainly I, I did startups and they'd hire the new CMO and everybody would be telling you, oh, Brian, they're going to fix everything now. And they come in and they're like, okay, in the first six months, we'll get the website redesigned. And I'm like, okay, can we do something? That's not going to generate. That's, no. It's pretty, it's nice, it's helpful, but that's admin. That's, administ- that's housekeeping. You know, and look, a legendary website matters, but it's not the place to start. You know, what can you do short-term to produce revenue? What can you do short-term maybe to uh, relieve some costs? I, I really believe uh, you talk about alignment. Marketing alignment with finance also matters because marketing generally has the largest discretionary budget. And so I would like to build my budget so that heading into the third month of the quarter, I had a holdback and we could decide how much we could, you know, needed to hold back. But when I was a, you know, public company CMO, I wanted to have at least a quarter, uh, quarter penny. So 25 cents a share worth of expense heading into the final month of the quarter so that if the quarter was going to be lighter, I was one of the escape hatches that the CFO had, right? Yeah. And so if you do that and you're thoughtful and you're transparent about it, you know, you become a partner because we need the company to hit the number. And if we're a little light on bookings, marketing is one of the few trapdoors where I can have a place to maybe get to the earnings number for a little light on the, on the bookings slash growth number, right? So I just think CMOs need to be adults. You need to work with the head of uh, sales and be partners, right? You need to be in the field because A, that's where you really learn. And B, and I don't generally love this word, but I'll use it anyway. You don't want to be that marketing leader that has no credibility with the field. If you achieve the goal of becoming the most requested executive on a sales call, or certainly one of the three or four most, you know, it's you, it's the head of sales, it's the CEO and maybe one or two other executives. So, you know, if there's three or four senior folks that the, the, the frontline field sales rep says, man, I want that executive on my call because that executive makes things better. The CMO must be on that list. Otherwise, you're an arm-waving asshole who plays with fonts. Well, I, I can honestly tell you, I've never taken a CMO on a sales call with me. What? Honest to God. How tw- can that be? Well, I, I did more early stage startups, um, you know, probably under 25 million. So a CMO would come in and I, I agree. It's an insanely difficult job because, you know, the website's a disaster. The database is a disaster. The team is a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Often we have no category strategy. We have no point of view. We have no, no. brand strategy. We, no. we don't know what the fuck we're saying vis-a-vis our competition. Uh, but the other one I find all the time, did you find this as a sales leader? I, I find this to this day. I meet sales leaders with companies I'm involved with or just companies I meet or whatever. And they say, we don't even have a good corporate deck. <laughs> you hear that all the time. Every right? rep's got their own deck. Have like... Could we have 15 slides at the front end of a presentation that like everybody could get trained on? Do we have an elevator pitch? Do we have a chalk talk? We don't. Everybody's playing free form jazz. It's not. <laughs> well, that's it. The Did first thing I would do whole is career? I, I'd Google every keyword I can think of that would be what a customer would type in and see where the company came up. You know, because I know AdWords and you know, whether they pay for it or it's organic. And I had this one CEO tell me, well, we're down here in an article right in here. And I'm like, well, that's 15 down. No one's going to go beyond three. You know, you could pay $2 to be up here. And it, it would, I literally would just get budget and put it on my credit card and expense it. And I do it myself. And I, I found this level of frustration because I think a new CMO is overwhelmed. 
And, and certainly depending on where they came from, whether they came from a big company, which is typically a mistake because a startup is very different. You need to be a guerrilla, you know, ground oriented, tactical, and then build from there. You know, I couldn't agree more. You know, these exec, these big time executives who like need 15 assistants and somebody throwing rose petals in front of them. <laughs> bullshit and they like they they use all the latest jargon but they can't actually fucking do anything yeah i, I was talking to one about getting on the podcast and he goes ah this whole year I, i've dedicated to doing marketing automation and i go well I, I can set it up for you in a weekend if you want to do that. it's You're not that moron. hard you are an absolute moron <laughs> he, he dedicated a year to it and it's like, get a contractor, pick a vendor. It doesn't matter which one. <laughs> well, and the other thing, and I'll quote to you, uh, Amnon Landon, the co-founder and CEO of, of Mercury. When I was joining Mercury in his, because I consulted to them for like a year and a half before I joined the CEO. As, as I was coming on board, he with his uh, tank commander, Mojo, would say to me, now, Chris, we need to make sure you don't get stuck in the mucky muck. <laughs> And on one hand, you know, it's good to be a practical, tactical CMO where you're getting into certain things and you get your hands dirty. So, you know, to the point on the rose petal type type uh, leaders. Um, but at the same time, it's like, look, you don't have to get into the nitty gritty about, hey, man, are we going to use MailChimp or Active Campaign or, you know, uh, should we buy HubSpot? Like these are not discussions for the most part. There may be a few. I don't want to be overly simplistic about it. But for the most part, even in a small marketing team, the CMO should not be involved with the nuts and bolts of marketing automation. It, right. It, it's not 10 years ago. I mean, if you, if you pick the wrong one, you can switch it out over a weekend. It's, it's not like a CRM. It's not that difficult. And for somebody to dedicate a year to it, I mean, the, the, today the world just moves too fast. Yeah. And if I was the CEO and my new CMO said exactly this, I'm going to dedicate a year to marketing automation, I would thank them for participating and fire them. Yeah. I mean, it's just not any kind of a result that matters. I mean, it's an important thing, but it's a ticket to the dance thing. It's not a strategic. It's thing. not the center of your marketing. There's so much more to it than that. Yeah. I mean, to me, the center of the marketing is number one. How do we design and dominate this category strategically and tactically, right? And then from a sales point of view, I need to sit down with you and get totally aligned. How do we want to take this company to market? Do we have a named account strategy? Uh, what are the things that you are, what are the, you know, what, what, what is the um, uh, pattern recognition that we're seeing in accounts that we win and in accounts that we lose, right? And how do we begin to replicate? things are there certain use cases in certain you know we get real practical and tactical about where we win and why we win and where we lose and why we lose and together we try to get smart about all of that stuff the other one on alignment i think is important to be curious what you think i believe sales enablement sales training should be in marketing because to me marketing should be setting that agenda and it's another thing that drives that integration. If I'm doing the sales training, you and I have to agree on that stuff and I have to provide you legendary training. And it, it's another reason that forces me as the CMO and my organization to get deep and intimate uh, with the sales organization. But I'd be curious, where do you think sales training and, and enablement should be? Um, yeah, I, I've seen it under marketing. Um, and I haven't seen much difference in either. I think, you know, learning about the product is really good, but learning about the existing customers, how to win the deals, why they pick us over other people, what's that process they go through. And this is important for marketing because, you know, even though like say a, a C executive might be the final approver, but they're not the person who has the problem that we solve. I think we got to get in front of that person, find out what they read, listen to and watch and who yes. they care about, whose opinion they yes. value. 
And in this regard, uh, if I was a CMO today, you know, in the past we would do trainings, we would do little videos, we would do that stuff. And I would probably be doing some of those things as well, of course. But today on this one, I'd have a podcast. Yeah. I would have a podcast, internal podcast to our company that would, uh, and I probably have multiple podcasts, one on new product information, uh, learning how to pitch the new products and all that. But on, on this one in specific, if, I would take it depends on the size of the company, but let's just say for sake of example, we're we're a mid we're a mid sized startup. I would take every sales rep that we had that closed a deal north of five hundred k. Let's say if that was a big deal for us, and we'd interview them on a podcast. Yeah. You'd have a fifteen minute, twenty minute, half an hour podcast where somebody you know smart would say, "Hey Brian, you just closed this giant deal with Citibank. Um, walk us through the deal." Yeah, go figure. <laughs> Wouldn't you have an internal podcast about that? Best practices on closing deals? Well, that's it. Today, there's just no excuse. You know, th to do that in the past would have required renting equipment and all kinds of technology. Today, you can do it for near free um, and, and have it archived privately or publicly or whatever you want. People can uh, watch it on demand. Uh, you could edit it up to see, like, you know, each stage. So it could be into five, 10 minute little chunks. Yep. And I think that it's gold, you know, especially when you pull I don't apart. Why more people aren't doing internal podcasts for training and enablement. And, and, and what a great thing. If you know, as a sales rep, you're going to get this internal Scooby snack called celebrated on a podcast. Yeah. And, and you learn from the other people, you know, especially when you're a new rep, you're wondering how it goes, and otherwise you'll assume it's a lock or, you know, a bluebird or territory or something that happens to you instead of something you make happen. Yes. The other thing, I'd be curious as to your thoughts on this, on uh, alignment. Um, CMO in all QBRs. So if we're doing quarterly business review meetings or whatever we call them with the field, um, then the CMO is at those meetings. If there's three or four days of QBRs, then maybe you can't be in every one, of course, because in many cases they're happening concurrently. Uh, the other one I'm a really big fan of as a CMO is um, be the executive sponsor of certain things in the field. So if there's a new initiative we have going on, we're trying to break into the financial services industry. Maybe I'm the executive sponsor of that initiative. And maybe you as the head of sales You've set up a tiger team. Maybe there's people with expertise in this regard and da, 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 da. But I'm the sort of the spiritual supporter of that. Or uh, at Mercury, for example, there was a point in time where I was the uh, executive sponsor of our Latin American business. And I, so I would participate in the QBRs for South uh, Latin America. And I got to know those reps and I had a Latin American business. And I would spend time going on calls in Brazil and Mexico City and so forth and so on. And so the QBRs and sort of the, the functional, uh, operational, somewhat tactical things that are happening in the field. Um, my experience is the CMO should be in those things. But I'm curious, if you've never even been on a call with a CMO, have you had CMOs who did those sorts of things? Oh, they would come out into the field. And maybe I, I overstate. I'm, I was talking more on, you know, going on an active sales call. They'd come out in the field to learn about the market, uh, you know, what people read, what shows they go to, uh, what thought leaders they follow uh, as a way of them trying to find the best way to market it, the product. And, and that part is good. But as far as a, a tactical, uh, you know, element of the account team trying to win the account, uh, that didn't really happen. And I'm not really sure why, whether the person... You know, there was a, it was a very transient role. Uh, right. When you're only around for 16 months. <laughs> well, that's it. And that gives you, a, you know, that gives you a very short window. And it gives you a little sense yeah. of, you know, and I, I guess salespeople have that too, but it's much more tactical, much more tangible. They know when they're on the bubble. And a yeah. CMO, I don't know. When the what the CEO stops talking to you or something, that you get the hint. Yeah, that's when you know. <laughs> you know that old story that the prepare three envelopes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you know when you get to the 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 
the second envelope that says reorg again, right? The, the first, yeah. uh, the, I don't know how you've heard it. How I've heard it is you take over your new job. The person outgoing says, Hey, Brian, I got these three envelopes for you. When, when chick goes down, you, you want some advice, open them in sequence. Right. And the first one says, um, reorg. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the second one says reorg again. And the third one says prepare three envelopes. <laughs> So I guess when you're on the second envelope, you're in trouble. Well, that's it. And um, some of the startups were not, you know, great successes. Some were. Um, but when it's not going well, there's that finger pointing. And how we, we talked about how you cover the, the sales counterpart. How do you cover the CEO? As a, as a CMO? Yeah, because obviously, I mean, they want you to do a thousand things and you have the budget to do 50, right? How do you justify yeah. why you're not doing the other 950? Well, I, I think you got to sit down and say, hey, look, we're actually going to do three. There are th three strategic things we're going to get done, right? One is this, we, this has to be a giant strategic category. Number two is we have to be positioned as the emerging category queen or king in this business, right? So there's a perception thing around the category that is to say is, is the space we're in solving a big strategic problem that matters and worthy of attention and investment immediately right because if that's not true then we're really fucked number two we need to be perceived as the go-to company the category king uh, or the emerging category king. so there's a whole perception thing that needs to happen and then there's a tactical thing that needs to happen underneath that which is to your point are we doing what we need to do from a product perspective and from a sales perspective, tactically to win the battle. And so that's ultimately the, the, the marketing job, as I see it, at a strategic level. Yeah. We may decide that this quarter we want to focus more on category and next quarter we want to focus more on leads and next category or next quarter we want to focus more on product marketing or whatever it is. There may be ways, you know, of course. But the first thing with the CEO for me is we need to get completely aligned and have agreement on what are the big strategic things. And what are the levers that matter? And then after that, we shouldn't have to talk that much. You know, if we meet once a week, that should be it. Now, that said, when it has worked for me, I'm talking to the CEO every 48 hours. Right. <laughs> I, I just am because we yeah. got to be buddies. We got to be sharing war stories. We got to, hey, hey, I went on this call yesterday. I learned this thing. Hey, I talked to this uh, Wall Street analyst and they told me this. Um, hey, I was out in the field and, you know, Sally, who's one of our top reps, told me that. Like, there, uh, what I have found, I'll be curious what you have found, but if you're a direct report to the CEO and you go more than three or four days without talking to that CEO, in general, that's probably not a great thing. Even if you, you might not, you might sit down for a formal one-on-one -on -one once a week or once every other week, depending on how big the company is and how fast things are growing. But, you know, at Mercury, I can't remember exactly, but I could certainly spend easily a million dollars on my own. And we agreed strategically on what we were going to go do. And, you know, I went off and did those things. We didn't need to sit down and have a nose picky discussion every week. But what we did need to do is as partners, talk about the business and what we were grappling with and uh, what we were learning and, and so forth. Well, I think that is necessary and the, because the CEO probably won't initiate it until something's wrong. So you have to proactively do that. Yeah. And I, I think in sales, it's a little bit harder because you're in the field. I think typically a CMO is at home office. So there's hallway bump in time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that hallway bump in time is important. I mean, it is, it is. And that just, you know, you walk by the CEO's office or she walks by your office and just, and then just sits down for five minutes and say, Hey, you know, I just had this really interesting phone call or, or something internal, right? I was just talking to one of our product managers and they had this really cool idea for our next release or whatever, whatever the thing is. Hey. I, I just, that casual interaction time I think is critical. I think that's critical with all the senior level executives in the company and I bump in on the CEO or the CFO and hang out for 15 minutes and, and bullshit. I, I think, I think you gotta have that time because part of it is at least for me, I got to this place where I could feel the business in my, in my veins, right? Like I had a sixth sense about business 
and about the market and the category, right? And so part of at least how I do that is by hanging out and by talking. And then the other one is is the relationship side. If if you bump into the CFO three times a week and, and steal 15 minutes with her, you're going to build a better relationship. You just are. And that's kind of the uh, the difference that I saw because I w- we were always in the, a field operation that's kind of unlike what's happening today. And the, the sales leader has this paradox where they can either invest the time in the field that last month of the quarter and hope that they, he makes his number or she makes his number yeah. or stay at home office and stay close to the CEO. So if he doesn't make his number, they know why. <laughs> <laughs> I would prefer you be out in the field trying to get the quarter done as opposed to well, of course. why we're not gonna <laughs> right but it turns into it's politics right and you, and you typically in a startup the CEO is a lot of times not a seasoned leader and yes. they think the product should sell itself that you know marketing should just throw so many leads that sales can't deal with it those salespeople should just be taking orders exactly and really all we need are homepage is a demo and we just need to have more sales calls where we do demos Brian, because it, as soon as people see our product of course they're going to give us a ton of money yeah yeah and so there's there there can be some naivete about that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but i think the number one thing is if you're the head of sales and i'm the head of marketing we have to agree that we are tied together at the hip and we are either going to go down together or we're going to you know uh, stand at the at, at the front of the parade and have the ticker tape <laughs> all around us together. But one way or another, we're together. That's it, because the alternative is just too dangerous for both people. It just turns into, you know, up, you know, a, a drama that that helps nobody. Yeah. And I think you know, one other one, sort of fine point on this, I think we both have to be comfortable going deep in each other's organizations. You know, I, I, Jay Larson and I, who was the head of sales at Mercury at the time, we were all, all up in each other's business. And so I'll never forget, you know, having a new employee come on. And she came into my office one, one day early in her tenure. And she says, hey, you know, I got this meeting request from Jay. He wants to sit down and talk about our user conference, but you're not invited to the meeting. What do you want me to do? And I said, what do you mean? What do I want you to do? And she said, well, you're not invited to the meeting. And I said, well, do I need to be at the meeting? She said, probably not. I said, well, then you should just go meet with Jay. (laughs) Right. And so, and I don't know how much of that weird thing about territory and all that sort of still exists, but like, if you're the head of sales and I'm the head of marketing and I want to go meet with one of your folks or vice versa, then we just fucking, we do whatever we need to do. And I, you know, one of the things I love is companies where executives are up in each other's business, right? Because then we all know, I want to know who your superstars are. I want you to know who my superstars are. I want you to spend time with them. I want vice versa. And the same thing in finance and the same thing in engineering. And, you know, I think that's a very important thing that the senior executives are deeply engaged, particularly with top performers across the company. Well, and I think that's a great point because the last thing you want to have to be is a gatekeeper to your team. And feel like you have to go through your counterpart to talk to somebody on their team or, or for them to talk to you. Well, and I don't know how you feel about this, but at the exec staff leadership team, Monday meeting, whatever that's called in a company, if there was a big topic, you know, take the user conference, the customer conference as an example, which you know was always a big marketing spend and always had a lot of people on it. And so, you know, as we got closer to it, there was things that was important to surface to the entire executive team, in some cases, even to the board. On a topic like that, my opinion always was, well, I could do what most fucking idiot C-level executives do, which is have the people who are really doing the work prepare some presentation, have them educate me on the presentation, have them educate me on the questions, go in and represent their work. Or I could say, fuck, that's a giant make work project. And I don't, I'm not going to remember, they might have questions I'm not going to know. So what I'm going to do, take the two people or, or the one person or whoever it is that are running that initiative, work with them on a presentation and have them come in. It gives them executive exposure. It, it, it gives them uh, you know, great uh, career development in, in walking into a big ass board meeting and laying down some important shit. And, and, and it, it tells the truth, which is, hey, these are the people doing the work. 
So why not have them come in? And that's what I want from engineering as well, et cetera, et cetera. And so I'd be curious to get your thoughts on bringing those folks into the conversation as opposed to representing their work as, 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 well, as I, I think, I think it's key. I think it, it's great. And I, I could never stand getting yelled at by either a manager or somebody else. Why are you talking to my people without talking to me first? You know, it's like, I just needed information. I wasn't asking them to do something. You know, do I really have to go up and then down each time? I just can't go across. We can't, we're on the same company. They're on the same team. That's what I always thought. It's like, hey, this is not the 1940s. I've had people say, hey, you have to respect the chain of command. Yeah. What are you fucking talking? What are you even talking about? We're a group of people committed to building a legendary company. And if you need to ask me a question or I need to ask you a question, regardless of where we are in the quote unquote chain of command, um, I'm going to ask you the question. And if, oh, by the way, Brian, who's our head of sales, wants to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with the person who runs our user conference because he's got questions or he wants to know things or yeah. he wants to coordinate things or whatever the fuck he wants to do. If he thinks I should be at the meeting, he's going to let me know. And if he thinks he can sit there and talk to Sarah about it, then he's going to talk to Sarah about it. Hey, we're aligned on that. Hey, appreciate <laughs> your time today, Chris. Ryan, it's awesome. And I uh, look forward to many more of these together. Whew. Brian Burns back on the podcast. I uh, hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Now in business, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. And today more than ever, you want to stay on top of the seminal numbers that drive your business and your growth. And that's where my friends at NetSuite come in. Imagine having every critical number you need in your business, on your smartphone, anytime, anywhere. That's what NetSuite helps to make happen. With some awesome dashboards, you can stay on top of sales, finance, accounting, orders, inventory, and yes, even HR. Uh, over 14,000 of the best-known brands and fastest-growing uh, companies use NetSuite to manage their business. And I'm amazed how many high-growth companies in Silicon Valley use NetSuite. And now it's available to you, and it's surprisingly cost-effective. Visit netsuite.com different. And while you're there, you will be able to set up a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry. And you guys can talk about what are the opportunities and barriers to growth and uh, how you can turbocharge your business. Because if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business, and with NetSuite, you will always know. If you want to get a hold of us, always on the uh, World Wide Web at Lockhead, L-O-C-H-H-E-A-D.com. And even if you subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Overcast or Stitcher or Spotify uh, or many of the other platforms out there, we don't know you exist until you go to Lockhead.com and subscribe. We have an awesome newsletter. We've been trying to take our newsletter game up, and uh, we promise not to send you junk. And... Um, we also promise over my dead body will we ever sell your name to anybody else. So go to Lockhead.com and subscribe today. All right. We would like to thank our guest today, Brian Burns. Go check out B2Brevenue.com and uh, check out his podcast and all the good shit he has to offer. The guy's awesome. Harper Collins. Instant classic play bigger. How pirates, dreamers, and innovators create and dominate markets sold everywhere legendary books are sold. My friends at Bixon2, that's B-I-C-K-S-O-N, the number two, dot com. These are the folks that help you hack the future and produce the outcomes you want in your business and, frankly, in your life. Another book that I love from our friend and multi-time guest. Uh, she's been on this podcast more than anyone else, the legendary Dushka Zapata. She's got a great book called Someone Destroyed My Rocket Ship and Other Havoc I Have Witnessed at the Office. <laughs> Come on. That might be the most legendary subtitle of all time. A uh, website I love, growwire.com. It's what legendary entrepreneurs are reading, stories of innovation. There's an awesome podcast. There's a YouTube channel, some great content, uh, some of which I have created, some of which my dear friend and co-author Heather Clancy has created. Check out growwire.com. Now, we have a growing audience in beautiful Australia. And if you are a business leader in Australia and you're looking to turbocharge your growth through some legendary marketing, check out my friends at Rapid Media, rapidmedia.com.au. 
And speaking of building legendary marketing and brands, if you're in Silicon Valley, there's one place to be for that. That's 1185 Design. It is no mistake that the most potent, powerful, enduring brands in Silicon Valley have gone to 1185. Check out 1185design today. And let's not forget about the incredible people at Kiva, K I V A dot O R G. This is the nonprofit helping uh, small entrepreneurs, small entrepreneurs in the developing world through. Uh, interest-free microfinance loans. And if you want to be part of it, it's something I love to do. Check out kiva.org. All right, I need to remind you that today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. And this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. All rights do remain perturbed. Um, I must warn you, the advice contained in this podcast should not be taken without express written consent of a medical professional. And the information in this podcast is provided to you with the understanding that the creators, producers, editors, and guests of this podcast, or I should say oddcast, may have been consuming libations. <laughs> also, I want to let you know, did you know in most states in the United States of America, it is against the law to drive slowly in the passing lane. So don't be lame. Get out of the passing lane. Listen to Leonard Cohen. Keep your hands up and your chin down. Support your local sales and marketing professional professionals. Don't forget to buy John's crazy socks. Tell two people you love about two podcasts you love. Only buy pasture-raised, free-range eggs. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Dennis Mullenberg, CEO of Boeing. Sorry, Dennis. We just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I can't thank you enough for investing part of your life with me. And uh, stay legendary until we're together again. Follow your different. 